0: I want to read, we're going to, we're going to uh, start in the book of Daniel for a few weeks, <clears throat> and uh, if you could open your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, and turn to the book of Daniel, it's in the Old Testament, we're going to read the first chapter, there are loaner Bibles under the chair seat in front of you, actually, if you need a Bible, you're welcome to take one, and uh, if you know someone that needs one, feel free to take one of these and give it to them, we're happy to... Provide that, and it's page uh, 615 in these loner Bibles. So we're going to start reading at verse 1, Daniel 1, verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia. And put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude, in every, excuse me, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, and I'm not going to try to pronounce on their Babylonian names. But Daniel resolved but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, Look, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And he's he's speaking not figuratively, literally. They took it seriously. Uh, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief chief official had appointed over him Hananiah, over him, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please put your servants, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, which is about 60 years. So Daniel served in the court through uh, three successive empires. So he, he went to, to Babylon as a teenager and served into his 90s and saw uh, the people of Israel go come into exile and then return back to their homeland. Now, this story reminds me of uh, Dorothy's famous line in The Wizard of Oz. You remember that? She's, she, she finds herself in Oz and she looks around and she goes, I get the feeling that we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Right? You heard that one? These young guys found themselves in not Oz, but in Babylon, and Babylon was a, a regional, or maybe you know, even greater sort of superpower of that time. And the, it, the Babylonians were uh, very, very aggressive people. They were vicious. They were amoral, uh, decadent, uh, ruthless. Uh, there, are, in, in the Bible, if you read the Bible uh, very much, you're going to find that the word Babylon is used to represent everything that represents uh, hostility to God. It becomes sort of uh, you know a symbol of of what opposes God, and it it starts in you know Babylon. In the Old Testament goes to Babylon, in the New Testament, the Book of Revelation, and it it was a picture of hostility to God, and so they found themselves in this place, and the book of Daniel shows us how the Jewish exiles lived in Babylon during their captivity, and how God reached out through these lowly conquered exiles to reveal himself to the Babylonians, and to in- invite the Babylonians, you know, to, to, to follow him and to worship him. Uh, this story, I, I want to look at uh, the book of Daniel for a few weeks, and if you've ever, how many of you have ever read the whole book of Daniel before? Raise your hand. I just wanted to get a, get a sense of... Okay, a few people. How many of you have heard of the book of Daniel before you came here? Okay, good. Uh, the, you know, when you read a book, uh, you have a point of view that you bring to it. And this book was written, uh, I think, with, with three points of view in, in mind. And you'll probably find yourself in one of these three. Uh, it was written... To, people are going to read this who are part of a dominant culture like the Babylonians and they're going to look at these young Hebrews coming in to Babylon and they're going to look at it like these guys are about to get schooled. They're about to f- kind of find out you know, how they're supposed to live their life because the Babylonians were ruthless and they're going like, to just put the pressure on them and, and, and they're just going to conform to the Babylonian way because that's what you did. It was, it was uh, the Babylonian way. It wasn't the, the, uh, my way or the highway. It was, it was my way or the graveyard. They, they weren't, you know, they, they weren't, well, oh, you don't like us? Well, that's okay. You know, we can still be friends. You know, they, that just wasn't their way. And so these young men, these young Hebrew men, they were teenagers. They are, they are forcibly exiled from their homeland. Their lives are turned upside down. And then out of the blue, the king picks them to come into the civil service of Babylon to begin to be part of the government. Can you imagine that? This was a Babylonian practice. is Every group of people they would conquer, they would take the best that they could find, bring them into Babylon, and teach them their ways, and they'd intermarry, and they would sort of, as, as breeding practices go, they figured, we bring the best stock in and interbreed, and we'll be better for it. And plus, there was political alliances that were created. There's sympathies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because you're not as likely to hate the Babylonians if you intermarry and you start enjoying some of the spoils of the Babylonian way of life. And, and you know, you just kind of begin to assimilate. And uh, the, the, Babylon, the Babylonians were the original Borg, if you know the Borg, some of you. Okay. 90s references. Don't talk about Star Trek at church. People don't get it. Okay. Okay. Uh, I won't go down that track. Uh, so you could read this. You could read the book of, ba- uh, of Daniel from a, a dominant culture perspective saying, these young guys don't know what's in store for them, right? Uh, when you're part of a dominant culture, you look at a story in a certain way. Well, this book was all, was, was also written to people who were, the Jews who were, a minority in a dominant culture. How do you maintain your faithfulness to God and your relationship to God when you're in a hostile culture like Babylon? And so they would read this from that point of view. How did our people survive in a place like Babylon? How did they make it through that? Then some people would be part of a dominant culture, but would, they would read this, but they would be dissatisfied with that culture, and they would be looking at this and saying, I wonder what this peculiar faith might have to offer to me. What is it in their lives that got them through this? Uh, and so we're going to look at it. I'm going to try today to sort of zigzag between those points of view and make little comments about it. But the, the story starts off with how Nebuchadnezzar came to Israel And God gave the Jewish people. So it says, God gave the Jewish people into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Now you wonder, God was letting his people be conquered? Isn't it sort of upside down? Isn't God supposed to be for his people that are his people? Yeah, but the truth is, at this point in Israel's history, they'd become as decadent and uh, messed up as any nation around them, and they had stopped really worshiping and living for the one true God, And they embraced all the sort of the practices of all their neighbors. And God had told them, I rescued you out of that mess, out of Egypt. And I had mercy on you, and I I raised you up for a purpose. And these are the two things that that we want to explore. uh, This this simple point is, God said, I blessed you, because this is what he told Abraham. Before, even before uh, the people went into Egypt, he told Abraham I'm going to raise you up. You're, you're a childless guy. I'm, and you're old. And it looks impossible that you're ever going to have a family. But I've chosen you, and I'm going to give you more descendants than you could count. More descendants there, than there are in the stars in the sky. And I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing to the nations. I'm going to do something through you that will change the world. And so the Jewish people carried this. The people of God carry this identity. We're supposed to carry this identity. That God chose us, not because we deserved it, but because of his love and mercy. And then he did something in our lives that that made us really special and unique. Again, not because we are special and unique in and of ourselves through our own efforts. And that he would reveal himself to us and in us and then through us to the world. And so the world would see what he was like. That's what he did with the Jewish people. And so they turned from God to idolatry, to injustice, promiscuity, all kinds of craziness. And they forgot their national purpose. Uh, let me, I'm going to read this, that passage again in Genesis, just specifically. Genesis 12, and this is the, the people of Abraham knew that this was part of their purpose. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land. I'll show you to the promised land. Because he was, he was from essentially Iraq or Iran, that general area. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and, and, and through your seed. And he's, he's pointing at that point. He's, he's making a veiled reference to Jesus. And again, in, in, you can see Jesus all the way through the Bible. And I'll I'll tell you here at the end uh, of the talk how you can see Christ in this story. But what they had done is they just settled on being blessed. They just settled on, I'm blessed. And have you ever seen those bumper stickers? I'm blessed, right? That's that's the worst half of it to get. (laughs) Because if you only hold on to that half, you will become corrupted. Because that makes it all about you. This book, our story is about God's story and His goodness. And He's drawing us into His story. He made us, He made everyone so we could be drawn into His story, His world, into His purpose, and what He's doing in history. And the book of Daniel is just a snapshot of that. And, it, and that's what we're supposed to, that's one of the things we're supposed to take away from this whole book and this story in this first chapter is. We are supposed to look at our place in the world. You're supposed to look at your particular situation and go, I am called by God. My purpose is to experience God's blessings and then extend those blessings to other people in in a whole myriad of ways. But being broken, being selfish... We just hold on to the first part of the purpose and say it's about me being blessed. And it, and it is, but that's not the whole story, because then that makes you the center of the story, and you're not. You couldn't survive at the center of the story. That's not, that is not that is out of step with reality. So they struggle with that. And the next thing in verse 3, it says that the king ordered them you know, to become blessed, uh, trained for his service. Now, think of this. Put yourself in their position just for a second. Think of the turmoil that they were experiencing at this point. Again, you guys watching on TV most, if you watch the news right now, you see the refugee crisis around the world. There's all kinds of places where, where people are being displaced. If you've ever had to move out of your house because of a fire, or you got displaced briefly, and you know how inconvenient it was and how frustrating it was, and you forgot to take this out of your house, and you had to go to the drugstore in the middle of the night and buy that, and all these little inconveniences. Well, imagine being conquered, watching your community being burned, watching people being murdered in in, in front of you, rape, just horrible, horrible violence, and then Taken back as as captives with the people who conquered your land and having to live there as a minority with all of a sudden this sense that, I don't know who I am. I don't know what is my purpose now. Is God still with me? Is God still with us? Or do we have a destiny anymore? Have we just like totally trashed our lives and it's all over? And then all of a sudden... In the middle of that, and all the turmoil, who knows? This doesn't mention, Daniel doesn't mention anything about families and parents in this story. Maybe all their parents were killed. Maybe some of their, they were separated from their family. Maybe some of their family fled, and, and they were separated. I mean, it, it's not hard to imagine the, the pain and the grief and the struggle that these young men were going through. Some of you might be able to identify with that in your life. You've had times where you've experienced this before, where you kind of felt alone. This is an extreme example of that. And then they get these these instructions from Jeremiah that were circulated to their families that said, listen, this is before they were exiled. Jeremiah told them, you're going to be exiled. You're going to go to Babylon. And when you go to Babylon, here's what he told them they had to do. God said, this is what what the prophet said. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carry into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, don't decrease. There, Babylon. This is the money line. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, Babylon, to which I have called you, of which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the 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 Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says. He repeats himself. He says, you're supposed to live for the peace of the city into which I send you. Now, I made this point before, so I won't belabor it here. He's telling them that their peace and prosperity as the people of God is bound up with the peace and prosperity of the Babylonians. I mean, wow. You just have to stop and go, really? Really? These people, God? We're supposed to really be neighbors of these people and care about them? We're supposed to pray for them? We just pray for ourselves. These guys are our enemies. Well, this just, you see, this carries forward the, the national purpose God gave them in Babylon. I mean, God, excuse me, God gave Abraham. I blessed you to be a blessing. And they had to carry this as, a, as their purpose in life. And so he's, he's reminding them of this. Jeremiah is reminding them. But Daniel and these guys, they got it. That's why they accepted the position of going into the king's service. Now, it looked like a pretty good position, too. If you're in exile, you're a minority. You don't have any power. You don't have opportunities. You don't have money. All of a sudden, to be given full scholarship, to be trained, to be part of the ruling class of Babylon would look like a pretty good deal, wouldn't it? That's it. That's it. That's, that's a choice opportunity. And so they accept it. They accept that the Babylonians give them new names. And if you look at their names, their names, they go from Jewish names, Hebrew names, to the names that include relationships with Babylonian gods. So they just went, hey, that's okay. Call us what you want. We know who we are. We know what our purpose is. Name us anything you want. But then... In verse 8, it says, Daniel draws the line and says, Okay, I'll go along with everything, but I'm not going to violate kosher. I'm not going to go for the king's provision. And I don't want to get into the nuances of what kosher is, but it, it has to do with eating food, certain kinds of food that, that make you distinct. They had this, the Jews had a distinct diet. And part of it had to do with idolatry. Part of it had to do with creating a unique people. Because one sociologist said that the people who influence your life the deepest are the people that you eat with most regularly. The people that you eat food with regularly are the people who begin to shape your life and your values in in the deepest way. We can see the Lord's Supper... Passover, uh, all cultures know meals are really important. That's why families having meals together is really important for kids to be shaped by you know the values that have shaped our hearts and lives. And so Daniel said, "No, we are supposed to be a unique people, and the food we eat and how we eat together has to be shaped by this loyalty to God." And there's you know there's a lot of ways you can you can look at that, but. To be engaged in Babylon meant they had to draw moral boundaries at different places. They didn't draw a moral boundary about learning the Babylonian literature because that was part of what they had to learn to be civil servants. They didn't have a problem with taking on new names. Joseph was given a new name in Potiphar's house. And, and, and Jesus, uh, Moses, uh, lots of people in the Old Testament were given new names when they served in pagan places. And there wasn't ever a command that God gave the Jewish people about names. But he told them, this food thing is important. Now, later on, Jesus changed that, but he didn't say food wasn't important. He gave them, He gave us a meal that was the center of our identity, that contained the whole message and life. This is like the, the Lord's Supper is, is a zip file of spiritual reality. You know, you, you, if you click on it and you open it up, there's just so much there. More than anything else, there's a presence of God is a part of this. And so the, these young Hebrew men said yes to certain things and no to that. Because their lives were meant to display a distinct loyalty to God and a loyalty to a community of God. This is, again, this is a, this is a challenging thing for us sort of, individualistic Americans, is we don't... Community to us is something that is really optional. And it reflects how shallow our spirituality is. The the root of how shallow American Christians are is at the heart of, number one, how disconnected they are from God that they really believe in. But two, how disconnected they are from community, because we think that we can make it without other people. And that we don't have to have rhythms in our lives that reinforce the most important things we believe. I mean, I'm tempted to say if, if we ate food the way we practice our walk with Christ, we'd all be messed up. But I guess we are messed up because the way we eat food is all messed up too. But it's just, it, it, it's, it's this individualism is seeped into everything. And, and, it, and it undoes the best things. You can't say, I am a follower of the one true God and not have a community that you're meaningfully a part of. And people who, who are serious about their faith like you, you want to be, who are part of your life, a part of the rhythm of your life. Is there anything that's really important in your life that you don't make room for? No. But and this is that see this is the, this is what they understood that most of us don't understand is the Hebrews understood if we want to be faithful to God and we want to live our purpose out in this world we need rhythms in our life that reinforce that and support it because we're a minority in a majority dominant culture that's incredibly powerful and subversive to everything that's good remember Babylon represents everything that's hostile to God. We live in modern Babylon now. We have a, we're living in a version of Babylon. American culture, probably someday when people look back they're going to say, why didn't they just change the name to United States of Babylon? It's, it's becoming so unjust. It's becoming so corrupt. We don't trust our politicians anymore. Either party, almost none of them That used to be a hallmark. There was always people you could trust. That's a sign of how powerful this culture we're living in is becoming. It is corrupting everyone and everything. They learned the lessons of their past that got them sent into exile. And Daniel and these other three young men and others with them, because there's obviously a community there that that they're all a part of that supports them, They just said, we're not going to make the same mistakes that our fathers did that got us into this mess. And I think that's one of the questions you have to ask today. Because many of us as followers of Jesus, we are experiencing the proverbial boiling of the frog reality. Is that we're in a pot of water and the heat's just getting turned up little by little by little. And we're acclimating to to getting warmer and warmer and warmer. But there's a certain point we're going to be cooked. Because we bought into so much of the Babylonian culture. And we're supposed to buy into some of it. It's not all bad. But many of us were so isolated. And when you get isolated, you become confused and disoriented. When I'm going to use this word. I want to use this example carefully. I don't know. How many of you saw the movie... Uh, it's the, the premiered a few weeks ago called Spotlight. Spotlight is a movie about uh, the whole uh, the the sex abuse scandal with the Roman Catholic Church. And it's a, it's a, it's not, a, it's a, the movie is just about the process of how the story came out and the Boston newspaper broke it. But one of the things that comes out in it is, and there's nothing graphic or anything that, in it that would, you know, would be disturbing to people. Uh, but they just they talk about grooming and grooming happens in in lots of contexts but in the context of child abuse it's where someone who is going to prey on a minor begins to groom them and one of the things they do is they isolate them and they make them feel special and then they exploit them and do you realize that that uh, the, the church in America is being groomed by the world system around us, and it's working. We're getting exploited. If you look at how we live, we, we live like everybody else, and we're suffering for it. God didn't just draw a, sign to land, uh, uh, a line of the sand and say, if you do this, it's going to unravel creation, because that's what sin does. It unravels creation. It unravels your, your being That unravels it, that builds it. And I could just move the line wherever I want because it's arbitrary. That's not how it works. Right and wrong have to do with our design, with our being. And when you read the book of Genesis, it shows God creating, and it shows him separating some things, And joining other things together. And the things that he joined together, he said, don't separate those. And the things that he separated, he said, don't join together, because there'll be a consequence. And as you read through the book of Genesis, you see the people disregarding that simple principle, like Adam and Eve, they had to trust God with the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, Don't eat out of it. And it was just trust thing. Will you trust me? They didn't. And their lives unravel. This is it's what happens. It's like our lives begin to unravel and pain breaks into our lives and destruction. So they thought they could do it their own way, that they could move the line where they wanted. But we think that way because of the pressure of our culture, of Babylon. Well, and there's a demonic part of that too. And if we don't have a community, if we don't have rhythms in our lives and connections, we just go along with the idea that we can move these boundaries and not suffer any consequences. Well, these young men who were sitting in Babylon, impoverished and oppressed and alone and their lives just shattered, looked at their national history and said, we're not going to do that. It may be hard here in Babylon to be faithful, but we're going to do it. And uh, uh, Jason, Jason, come here. Uh, Recently, Jason and I, we had lunch and we were talking about uh this and jason had just had a a situation happen at work it's an example of this so you're going to have to you're going to be in situations and jason was in one where uh you can go along with the system that's broken or you can say no i'm not going to and i I just want jason to share his story for a second go ahead sure um as john said
1: we, we meet regularly every once in a while and uh John's probably looking to give us some guidance, and he usually gets 30 or 45 minutes of us puking about all the ill will that we have where we work. Um, My job is basically in corporate America. It doesn't really matter what the company is. You can probably take several monikers. But um, at the highest level, right, there's vision, and there are the things that we publicly put out there, what we want to do, who we want to be, services, or the products we want to deliver. And then there's all the layers of management down through the company that get there, and ultimately where I bang my head against the ceiling all the time, and I complain to John quite a bit. Um, you know, there are folks that sit in the middle, um, and their job is to, you know, kind of man their little empires. Uh, and so, uh, at the highest level, right, you have silver bullet answers uh, to our problems, and, and the reality is, as we all know, with many problems, they're multi-layered, right? So you have all these details. So you're trying to manage. All these details to get to that silver bullet statement, meanwhile, somebody above you is making sure they protect their own, right? Um, So when you have that, it just breeds um, all kinds of space uh, for corrupt things to happen uh, to people that in the workplace, uh, to the people that you serve. Um, So so John uh, hears this quite a bit from me um, and my struggles. Um, And then um, uh, that was uh, certainly amplified uh, by attending Lead Like Jesus that we had here. And opened my eyes to a lot of things, um, which led to even more heartache, um, because I had all this knowledge Went running in the room. Uh, I was literally laughed out of one meeting when I questioned, is there any morality in the business that we're doing? There is no morality in business, I was told, and laughed at for bringing that up. Um, So, kind of get to the story of the chase, I'm I'm overly frustrated, um, and I come to John, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm explaining to him how frustrated I am with things. And he said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for you. And, um, you know, uh, my family prays for me too. Um, so, I, um, the day before, I was, uh, a, a deal came across my desk um, and put it in simplest terms, the customer, for what they needed, that they trusted us to provide for them. They just needed to hang a picture on a the wall. They just needed a small little tack hammer, right? Well, we ended up selling them the biggest, shiniest, gold-plated sledgehammer that we possibly had. Um, so when it came across my desk, um, I questioned it, and I said, no, we're not, we're not going to do this. We'll redesign you a solution. I'll still deliver it to you at the same time that you were asking for, but it will be the proper solution and the proper pay. Um, I didn't think really much of it. Uh, a lot of stuff comes across my desk. Um, so I met with John. Uh, we had lunch. Came back to the office. Still feeling kind of worked up after all the puking session that I had with John. Um, And it wasn't but a few minutes at my desk. um, Somebody comes to my office and said that they had heard what I had done and said, would you mind taking a look at this? And so by the end of the day, I had six or seven people come into my office that questioned what was going on and what they were looking at and the pieces of deals that they were touching. Um, I can't tell you how astounded I was. Um, I'm always looking and hoping and praying that here God speak to me. And, you know, my Babylon isn't going to, not going to lose my head or, you know, but I have a mortgage to pay. I have five children to take care of. So my job is very important to me. And um, just to have that moment, that experience, to have all these people come in um, and start to look at things differently, have the courage to look at something and question it. It is the right thing to do, as John's talking about. Um, that that was very impactful for me. Thank you. I just wanted to. Share. Thank you.
0: It's uh, it's if if at the end of this story, it says that after Daniel took the stand and said, you know, I'm going to draw a moral boundary here, uh, and I'm going to be, I'm going to try to be faithful to serve Babylon. But ultimately, I have to be faithful to serve God above that. And I'm going to live in the tension of that. Uh, Because it's not either or. There are times where it's either or. Uh, You may be asked to do something that is against the will of God. And no matter whether it's the will of Babylon or not, you you can't do it when it directly contradicts the will of God. But so many times, it's more about... the, The problem is, is we either think I have to totally go along with Babylon or I have to completely separate myself from Babylon, Right? I need to become Amish. I need to stop wearing zippers. You know, uh, I, I, I need to, you know, to be really peculiar. We're supposed to be peculiar on the inside with respect to our society, not the outside. Do you understand? The outside doesn't matter for the, mo- for the most part. It just doesn't matter. The inside is where the impact is felt. You know, Jason's, customer will look at his company differently and say, wow, they're thinking about me. But the company should be doing that all the time and not selling them the biggest thing that they don't need so that we can make more profits. That's how Babylon does things. That's not how Zion does things. That's not how the kingdom of God operates. And like Jason said, when we try to advocate for that, we are going to get laughed at. We're going to get you know, difficulties and challenges, and we're getting friction, and, and sometimes you're going to get, because you'll see as this book, as we read the next few chapters, it isn't, th- this is like a little tiny challenge. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and the warfare against the truth intensifies as, as the influence of Daniel and his friends and the other Jewish exiles begins to penetrate further into Babylon, the stakes go up, the conflicts increase, it becomes life and death. But you see, one of the things that God shows the the Babylonians and he shows the, the Jewish exiles is, I'm here too. I'm not just in the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, he wasn't even there anymore. Ezekiel saw the Spirit of God lift off the temple even before the empire of Babylon invaded. And God's saying, I'm everywhere. I am everywhere now. I'm in Babylon. I'm with you. I'm going to help you. So they experienced, as they were faithful, this principle that Jesus articulated. Jesus said, if you're faithful in small things, I know you're a person who will be faithful in bigger things. You'll be more likely to be faithful in bigger things. So in your life, your purpose is to be blessed, to be a blessing in the context he put you in. Work, home, neighborhood, You name it. Everybody that's there, whether they like you or not, you're supposed to be living to bring God's blessing into their life. And which means you're going to serve. It means you're going to be the one who's the servant, generally. Although not that, in the beginning, Daniel and these young men were low-level civil servants. But real quickly, because of the quality of their character and life and their skill that God gave them, it says... They just kept getting promoted. And they kept being faithful because that was their job. I'm going to be faithful to what's in front of me. I'm going to live for the benefit and the, and the peace of the people that are right in front of me. And as they did that, God said, I, I can trust you. I'm going to give you more. And that, this, 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 the chapter 1 starts with, God gave the Jews into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And then it ends with God gave the Jewish exiles favor. And he made them more discerning, more knowledgeable, more skillful than all the Babylonian enchanters and leaders and workers. And eventually Daniel became the, the person, just like Joseph did, who ran all of Babylon. It was under a different name later. That's what happens. Now, do you, I'm, I'm going to invite you to the Lord's table. We're just going to close the service this way. The the Hebrew young men were a picture of Jesus. They were chosen by God to go into a place that was hostile to him. But it wasn't a place that he hated. It was a place he loved. God loves the people that Jason works with. God loves the people that you work with. God loves your neighbors. He loves your enemies. God sent these young, these young Hebrew men into there. They were tempted like Christ. They lived faithfully like Christ. They had to empty their lives and lose everything like Christ did. And in the end, they were vindicated. And their life, lives that were poured out, you can see through the book of Daniel, it brought this profound impact to that community. Now, they had to choose. We don't know the whole story of Babylon except that the empire ended and then another one followed it and another one followed it and, ba- and Daniel served through those, those uh, kingdoms. Jason, uh, I'm, you guys band guys come back up, Adam. When we take the Lord's Supper today, I want to ask you to, to hear the gospel. Uh, Daniel isn't held up like this example because it's all about you trying harder. He's held up and they're held up as a model of Jesus because it was only their faith in God that enabled them to live the way that they live. Their faith is not us just trying to be good moral people. Our faith is people who are trying to connect with this God who loves us, who's with us through thick and thin and has revealed himself to us and we, and we experience him through his son Jesus. And we take the Lord's Supper week in and week out, month in and month out. And Jesus said that this simple meal is a covenant meal and that every time you take it, you're, you're re-upping your commitment to me and you're opening your heart up to me and my life and my grace and my presence. But it isn't just sort of a mental gymnastics thing. It, it has to happen. There's understanding you need to have about what goes on here, but what makes this special is when the understanding affects your heart and you say with your life, Jesus, I need you like I need air and food and everything. And I need the people who are taking this with me. I can't make it without the people who are around me too. And this world system wants to push me away from this table where I meet you. It wants to push me away from these people and the rhythm of meeting with them and connecting with them and opening my life up to you and to them. The world wants you to hide. It wants you to be a little survivalist on your own. And you can't live that way. I mean, I have, I have friends who, are, who, who have become real serious. What's that thing called, Maggie? What is it when, they, when you try to hoard stuff and you put food away? What is it? The preppers. I have friends who are real serious preppers. And they were really into it uh, last year. And they said, one of my friends said, he said, you know what? I realized one day, I can only prep so much. I can only get so much of the stuff I need in my house. And then I really need a community. (laughs) I need people because if they come for me, they're going to get me. And they're going to get what I've saved if they figure out I've got something. And it's really true. And so at a certain point, you realize, I to, I probably need to be more of a spiritual prepper. Not that other preparation isn't, isn't good. But when it all comes down, if we don't have people, if we don't have Jesus and we don't have people, what are we going to do? And our Babylon, this culture we live in, wants us to peel us away from Jesus and make us self-sufficient. It wants to peel us away from community and the rhythms of life where we connect our lives to Jesus and to other people Deeply and meaningfully. And so I don't know what boundaries the Lord might be asking you to make in your life. With the world. But. The most important questions you're going to be answered are going to be questions that, that are asked around. Are you going to connect with Jesus meaningfully, consistently, in a, in, a, in a rhythm of life? And are you going to connect with his people meaningfully and consistently in a rhythm of life? And to do that. If you're going to say yes to Jesus, you can't say yes to everything else. Do you understand? If you're going to connect with Jesus, you cannot surf the web every waking minute until you fall asleep with your iPad on your chest at night. You you can't fill your life and your kids' lives with a gazillion activities. Or your kids are going to learn that's what's important. And then you're going to watch their lives fall apart later. Because they followed the Babylonian pattern. We've got to do this first, folks. And the thing is, if people see it in us, like I said, there's three points of view of this story. In our story, in our lives. There's people from the dominant culture who just go, you guys are crazy. You know, you're going to get school. America it's going to swallow you up. And then there's the people who are saying, no, we don't want to be swallowed. We want to make a difference. Then there's the people around us who are going, I'm really dissatisfied with America and American culture. I want something more. Is there anybody who has more? But you won't have more because you can only get it from God, and you won't have more unless you're willing to draw moral distinctions and be faithful in small things. You understand? This purpose thing that God has given you, to be blessed, to be a blessing, you got to walk away here today and decide, am I going to, Am I going to embrace that meaningfully? What is that? Whoever has that, <laughs> you've got to fix that. I hardly ever get distracted, but you've gotten on my last nerve today. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I love you. Anyway, be blessed. <laughs> so, is it a hearing aid? Okay, sorry about that. I, mean, I didn't know that was what it was. It sounded like somebody's cell phone. Uh, you guys come up front. Um, the folks who are going to pass out the elements, if you could come up now, whoever's going to give communion. Two, two folks on this aisle, two folks on this aisle. And we're going to just take communion and we're going to invite the Lord's presence to come and be with us today. Yeah, you guys can grab them, just stand there. And just open our hearts up to Him. Whatever way the Lord spoke in you today, whatever your takeaway is, your response is taking His body and blood today and saying, Jesus, I can't, I can't live the way I've been living. It doesn't cut it.